Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Hear it from the doctor with expert guests from the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's Healthy Children. Now, our favorite mom, Melanie Cole, MS. Welcome to Healthy Children. I'm Melanie Cole, and this particular episode is very personal for me because we're talking about colleges and universities in the time of COVID. And I seem to be the only parent among my son's friends who kept him home from university for this semester. I gave him four weeks so we could see how it would play out, so we could see what would happen. He's miserable, all of his friends went, his girlfriend went, and he's absolutely miserable. But what is a parent to do? I think I made a good decision keeping him just for four weeks to see how it plays out. Today we are talking about this with Dr. Yolanda Reed-Chasiakos. She's a clinical assistant professor of pediatrics at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA and the director and chief medical chief of staff at the Klotz Student Health Center at California State University, Northridge. Dr. Reed, it's a pleasure to have you on. I just told the listeners everything I told you off air before we began. What is a parent to do right now? It is terrifying for me because I I trust my son, but I don't know that I trust the peer pressure, the pressure that is on our colleges and universities. Tell us what's going on and what should we be doing? Unfortunately, this virus has really put a damper in the hopes and dreams of um, teens that were looking forward to the college experience. And it, it has really been terrible for everyone. I think colleges and universities have tried very hard to carve a path that allows students to have a little bit of the social experiences that college is famous for and which helps support the transition from from teenage years to adulthood um, and independence and a new relationship with family as well as friends. And a lot of that has been stopped basically because of this virus. Without going into details about the virus itself, I will say that it is one of the most transmissible viruses that we've had to deal with. And it's easily transmitted through aerosols and through droplets, especially within six feet. And sometimes if someone is singing, shouting, uh, sneezing or coughing, the aerosols and the droplets can go much farther as far as 10 feet, for example. So in an attempt to try to limit the spread of this virus, colleges and universities across the country have tried to implement measures um, that will help keep students safe. Some colleges and universities have opened their doors only to find that students who come and live in dormitories, fraternity or sorority houses, or even off campus packed into apartments, which is not unusual for students who are are trying to have both a social experience and save some money, um, have become places where COVID-19 has spread and very large numbers Uh, of students have ended up, sometime in the hundreds, have ended up being positive for COVID-19. 
Um, this is a very serious concern, and many of these campuses have had to close, have had to go back to virtual learning, which is essentially online learning, and wait out either a quarantine period or a much longer period until um, the prevalence of the virus decreases. Um, you've touched on peer pressure, and I'll jump right to the end before coming back to some individual suggestions. The end is that what we have found to be most effective in helping students um, uh, engage with and comply with the preventive measures is peer pressure. So we can use peer pressure in both negative and positive ways. Uh, many schools are asking students to sign a pledge that they will comply with the preventive measures that are recommended by the CDC and their local county or state health departments. And this peer pressure, this commitment to social responsibility and to keeping themselves and their classmates and community safe is actually one of the more effective ways for students to help each other. But it doesn't always, it isn't either implemented or it doesn't always work. What ends up happening is students may come into a dormitory. They may be in single rooms instead of having roommates. They may be engaging in preventive measures such as screening before coming to campus, checking their temperature to make sure they don't have a fever or any symptoms of COVID-19, limiting their social contacts, including physical distancing. I don't like to call it social distancing, physical distancing of six feet or more, and in many areas of the country, wearing face coverings, frequent hand washing for 20 seconds or longer, as well as going ahead and frequent disinfection of uh, commonly touched surfaces can help reduce the transmission. Uh, we have found with COVID that unfortunately, uh, even though people can get well, virus shedding can continue for a period of time. Uh, how infectious this viral shedding is, we don't know, but we do know that virus can be shedded not only through aerosols and droplets, but also, and I'll get a little bit poopy here, um, through uh, human waste. And so another source of potential infection are shared bathrooms um, and toilets and sinks. And so um, that can also be a source of, of common uh, contagion. Additionally, indoor um, locations tend to have a higher risk for transmission of COVID and indoor dining areas, which are open in some situations, even with physical separation, the face coverings have to be removed for someone to be able to eat or drink, um, and that can unfortunately increase the risk of transmission of COVID-19. So the risks are there, but we have seen that it's not just the risks we're aware of, but the ones that we're not aware of as college administrators trying to keep students faculty and staff healthy and safe. And those are some of the off-campus activities uh, that students have engaged in when they come onto campus. And believe me, we all understand, that's what college is about. Yes, it's about studying and learning and doing the best you can and um, preparing your professional and academic pathway, but it's also about making friends. And it's also about getting together for social events and parties, often with large numbers of people. 
And because young people may feel that they're immune from some of the risks um, and some of the negative effects of COVID, they may not be as eager to take the precautions that are necessary to be able um, to try to prevent um, COVID transmission, such as the face coverings, the hand washing, um, and the distancing. Um, and this is a time in which social connections, and those can be physical as well as emotional social connections, um, tend to be very attractive. And so again, there are a lot of factors that weigh towards um, engaging in activities that are not necessarily recommended to stay safe from the virus. Well, that's certainly true. And I agree with everything you're saying. And I know that part of it, unfortunately, and I understand it, is driven by the economy. And the universities and colleges need to charge full tuition, even if they're all online. Their need to get kids into these towns. I understand all of that. But it's not the college experience that the kids, you know, when they went off a few years ago, it's not that same college experience now. So to me, my question for you would be, suppose they do go all online. Do we bring our kids home or do we just make sure they have a lot of food and they can stay in their apartments? If they do get covid that's what terrifies me. We can't even go and help them. We can't go pick them up. We can't bring them home. I know parents listening, you are feeling the same way as I am, and you're worried about the same things. Do you have to go pick up your kid with COVID and keep them quarantined, but you can't? God forbid they end up in the hospital. I mean, all of these things. So Dr. Reed, what do we do? Do we trust our kids to follow the guidelines and hope that we've raised them right? Do we do as I did and keep them home just to kind of watch the curve and see what happens? I'm willing to send them back in just a few weeks if everything is doing well. I mean, what's a parent to do? How do we walk that fine line? I think what I would do as a parent is the same thing I would do as a doctor which is to look at recommendations from the Centers of Disease Control, uh, CDC, and your local county. Because the advice I would give to someone in one state or one location would be very different than the advice I would give to someone, uh, let's say, in Southern California, which is where I'm, I'm speaking from. Uh, Los Angeles has made great efforts, I'll, I'll speak locally, in reducing uh, the number of cases of COVID, but we are still considered a relative hotspot. That being said, our California State University system had decided, which makes it easier for parents to make that decision, that they are going to do virtual learning only for this semester. And that limits uh, the numbers of students, the only students that we have on our campus, for example, are students who otherwise would not have a place to live. And we have about 250 students, which is about a tenth of our normal dormitory um, uh, housing, um, who otherwise might be homeless or have humanitarian reasons for staying. Otherwise, we do recommend that all other students stay home this semester. Now, other campuses, perhaps for some of the reasons that you've mentioned, there can be both academic, pedagogic, and financial reasons for wanting 
to uh, loosen up services a little bit. Um, and certainly, I would encourage parents to talk with their teenagers and young adults about both what preventive measures should be taken to monitor what's happening from their local county recommendations together with their teenagers and to encourage, once somebody's over 18, there's not a lot you can dictate as much anymore, but to mentor and encourage that your teenager and their roommates and friends uh, as much as possible go ahead and adhere and comply with the local recommendations. That could mean adjusting housing arrangements if they don't want to come back home to uh, allow for six-foot distancing, not sharing food or eating utensils, disinfecting kitchen and bathroom surfaces. So there are things that can be done to reduce the risk. One of the things that parents need to tell themselves as they're making this decision is, yes, you have raised your kid right, but um, you don't know, it's like when you're driving, um, you have defensive driving, you're driving well, but you don't know what the other driver is going to do. And both your children, and I've seen many of our students come to us and say, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm very worried about my classmates or my roommates um, because they're not adhering. So being able to allow your teen or young adult to be able to say, I feel like I'm in a risky situation, help me to understand how to guide my roommates and those whom I cannot avoid in adhering with these recommendations and help me to make the decision to be able to say, yes, for a semester, I'm gonna come back home. That'll keep me healthy. One of the other things that young people need to understand is yes, although the death rates are lower among the young, this virus has been noted to have long-term effects in both the pulmonary, cardiovascular, and even the neurological system. So although many young people are asymptomatic and can be asymptomatic spreaders of the virus, those who become ill, many may have long-term negative effects from this virus. So it's not a matter of brushing it off and saying, uh, oh, I'm young, it's not going to be an issue for me. For us as parents, um, I think if it's important for us and we can convince our sons and daughters to come home um, and we have an environment that will keep them safe uh, at home and will keep our other family members safe. For example, if there's an, an elderly individual at home, um, it may be necessary to ensure that there's separation between a younger and more active, especially in terms of, of social encounters, individuals are going out with someone who's elderly and is at extremely high risk from this virus. So it's a family discussion, a family decision to understand the risks, understand how to advocate for oneself in a social environment if one is living off campus or in an on-campus dormitory, and then to make a decision when it's time to fold them and come on back home. Well, that is great information. I have one last question, and we could really go on about this for a long time, but but I, I think that other parents want to know this answer, and I certainly want to know it myself. And we don't have a lot of time, Dr. Reed, but with the holidays coming up, if we were a parent that sent our kid to wherever it was, and maybe it was in-person learning, maybe it was blended, maybe it was all online, and they live off campus, whatever it is, they're going to come back for the holidays. What do we want them to do? Is it full quarantine for two weeks before they come back to their family household where maybe there are elderly people or, are, you know, us? 
in certain age groups that are terrified? Or do we have them get tested at school and then quarantine for two weeks? What do we do before the holidays to get them home? Not necessarily. And what I would say, because this podcast will be available um, even as this, you know, we, we always say in, in this field with COVID that we're building the plane as we're flying it. We don't have all the answers as to what's going to happen in the future and things are changing at every moment. So to answer your question specifically, um, I can give advice for California or other parts of the country right now, but things may change between now and December. So my recommendation to parents is to keep abreast of what your state and county public health uh, departments are uh, recommending. And your family doctor or pediatrician is a wonderful resource um, to be able to get up-to-date information on what's important for protecting your children and teens and young adults, as well as your other family members um, during the holidays. I can tell you that as of now, and this is uh, September, the CDC has pulled back from requiring quarantines in uh, for international travel, that may change. Some states have quarantine restrictions from people coming in from out of state for 14 days. Others do not. If there are no quarantine restrictions in your state, a good bit of advice is to try to have your returning student maintain six foot distancing, especially from those who are high risk, they're, who are medically vulnerable, um, it could be the elderly or folks with underlying conditions that make them high risk by six feet or more, by not sharing food or eating utensils, by not sharing a bathroom, um, and maintain that distancing for 14 days. It's not a strict quarantine necessarily unless that's required by public health or by your local legislation. Um, the other aspect of this is uh, self-monitoring, and that means it's a good idea to check for fever on a daily basis uh, and preferably with a thermometer and not the, the um, hand on the forehead approach, um, as well as for signs and symptoms of COVID such as um, cough, respiratory symptoms, and even some unusual symptoms that we do see with COVID such as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, unusual rashes, sore throat, or even runny nose. So if those symptoms develop, then definitely the traveling student should isolate and stay away from vulnerable family members. And you should call your pediatrician or your family doctor and get advice as to how to proceed from there. But the best thing to do is keep in touch, read with what's happening uh, in your community and check with your pediatrician for specific advice for your family. And that is the main message and so important. Dr. Reed, thank you so much. And listeners, if this is as personal for you as it was for me, share this show with your friends, with your family. Share it with other people you know that have kids your same age that are all going through this because we are all scared and nervous and nobody quite knows what to expect. And as Dr. Reed said, it is changing. Day by day, we're learning new things. So share this show so we can all learn together from the experts at the American Academy of Pediatrics, the gold standard, our pediatricians. We love them. They are helping us to raise our children and keep them safe. And that's really what it's all about. Remember, you can listen to this show on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, everywhere podcasts are played. But we'd like you to listen at RadioMD.com. I'm Melanie Cole for Healthy Children and Radio MD. Stay safe and stay well.